G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz with episode number 99 of the Outback Mine podcast. Thank you so much for joining in episode 99. It's uh, pretty eerie actually, we're nearly cracking the hundreds. Um, Yes, uh, it's been five or six months uh, since we started and it's uh, been an amazing journey and I'm so grateful for you listening in and uh, being part of this. Uh, we've had some tremendous people along and some tremendous people to come and uh, geez, I'm so grateful for, for the conversations that I've had and the, the feedback I've had from those conversations. Um, now today I've got, uh, it's amazing how the podcast works out, but I've got a, a guy that I really uh, respect and, and look up upon um, uh, coming on for a chat. Uh, the gentleman's name is Mark Togney. Mark is originally from Western Victoria, um, the Penthurst, Tim Boone area, and um, Mark is now one of the most gifted um, yoga uh, teachers um, uh, in Australia, uh, but also he's a, he's a Zen Buddhist monk. Um, so he's gone on an amazing journey from his younger years um, back in, 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 in the bush uh, to be able to explore human potential and what's possible. Mark's got one of the most amazing bodies that he's been able to train over the years to be able to be completely flexible, which we're going to talk a lot about. And uh, I challenge you, I don't challenge you to be able to be like Mark, but Mark's uh, able to do some incredible things with his body, but that's taken a lot of time. Um, and we're going to talk a lot about that, but also what he understands about meditation, the mind, all those types of things, which I believe can be really helpful for people out there. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy this conversation and this podcast, um, whether you're into yoga or meditation or not, there's a lot that we can learn about self-awareness and, um, and being able to reach our human potential from Mark. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Just want to help, uh, sorry, make special mention to our primary partners, Green Nutritionals, who provide green organic superfoods so i really uh, encourage you to check out their website um, support them greennutritionals.com.au also we get some support from pure life bakery who provide organic sprouted bread so when the grains in our breads are sprouted our digestive process uh, works a lot better when our digestion is working well our mental health works better uh, as well um, so really encourage you to check out their website too uh, their uh, products are available around australia purelifebakery.com.au Alrighty, sit back and enjoy this. Please share it with others um, that you may feel might find it helpful. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm so uh, grateful and honoured to be having this uh, this conversation with Mark today. Mark Togney, welcome to the Outback Mind podcast. Oh, thanks, Aaron. Yeah, thank yeah, you. so grateful to have you here, mate. And uh, you're from my um, neck of the woods too, which makes it even more uh, exciting being from uh, from Western Victoria, mate. So. Um, it's amazing how life um, you know, takes us uh, in different uh, journeys and we're not sort of spending our time um, you know, in the environments that we once, once were in and we're able to sort of branch out and do other things, which I think is uh, the, the beautiful thing about life, I suppose, in general. So it's, uh, it's amazing to, to see you know, where, you've, where you've been and where you've come from now. And can you tell us a bit about your upbringing back there in, um, in Penzurst or Timboon around that area and sort of how things have sort of progressed for Mark Togney over the last, uh, God, how old are you now? Nearly 50. 51. 51, yeah. Well, we won't go all yeah. the way to the 51st year, but the most uh, most relevant time in your upbringing and sort of, you know, how life sort of transitioned for you, I guess. Okay, no worries. Um, well, I was born in Timburn and uh, 
we had a dairy farm there for, um, well, I think we left there when I was 10 years old. Mm. So for the first 10 years of my life, we were on the dairy farm. And it was a very basic farming life. Um, me and I had two older brothers. And yeah, we just run around the country in our gumboots. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> That's just standard farming kind of upbringing. Um, and things weren't good at that time with the climate. Uh, there was a drought in Victoria at the time, so my father, he had to get some work. So he went to Timboon, which is about a uh, 25, 30-minute drive away, mm. and he got a job in the pub. Yeah, right. So, yeah, so he used to work in the pub at night, and, yeah, this, you know, farming life was really hard for him, mm. and uh, he inherited the farm off his father-in-law, my mum's dad, and so after a while I kept persevering, kept trying to make the farm work and things weren't, still weren't good in that time. Um, believe it or not, just after they sold, the drought broke and um, many years later the uh, timber and cheese and all that sort of stuff took off. So, you know, mm. we sort of missed the boat on that one, yeah. um, which is now a popular thriving area. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so we moved to, my parents looked at me where they bought a pub in Penzhurst. So we moved there and we lived there for about five years. And um, also a very small town, not much going on there, just the pub. Mm. And you can still drive through it now, it hasn't really changed much. It's an old Bluestone uh, pub from memory, old Bluestone Blue pub. Bluestone pub, yep. that's right. That's yeah. it. it used to be painted used to be painted pink, but we sandblasted it and <laughs> uh, restored it back to the original stone. Yeah. Which is quite a process. Yeah, yeah. But as you know, those areas are pretty rugged, pretty rough in those times. School was pretty tough and uh, mm. it's a, sort of a harsh background. The, the only industry around uh, Anzos was sheep. Mm. And so um, a lot of my school friends were, you know, we'd go stay on sheep farms and help out with sheep. And I'd have out at the pub because in those days there weren't many rules around kids working in the bar. And, um, or underage drinking either. Yeah, that was that came in pretty strict at the time, but the publicans' children were allowed to work in the bar, which mm. was an unusual. <laughs> I don't think that's the case now. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, when the big the big band nights would happen and stuff, we'd run around and collect glasses and pull mm. beer, mm. all that sort of stuff. So yeah, they were there five years, but again, my father really didn't like it. He um, he wasn't happy. It was a, quite a harsh life, as you know. They open at 10am, close at midnight, mm. and, you know, not a lot of culture in those towns either, but it's changed now, it's quite near Dunkeld, yeah. have you heard of Dunkeld? Yep. It's near the Grampians, and that whole area has really taken off now. Mm, it has. Yeah, different so culture. We, we, um, he, at that time, he got into deep sea fishing in Warrnambool, bought a boat, and found his passion. So we used to holiday at Naruma and Bermagui, which was quite a long drive. I think it took 10 or 12 hours to drive there from where we lived. Yeah, absolutely. So we'd drive up there and he just fell in love with that area. So that's what he wanted. So we, after five years in the pub, we moved to Bega. Well, actually we lived in Tartra, but we hit they bought a service station in Bega. And um, so I spent, you know, from 15 to uh, I'm a bit younger, I can't remember, but I went to school in Bega for 
a number of years, and my father passed away when I was 16. Ah, oh, sorry. Had a heart attack. Yeah, he was 48, very young, and then suddenly he died. You know, just instant. Shit. Yeah. So I guess that, you know, when you ask about pivotal moments, that was a pivotal moment because, you know, to lose my father so young, it was immediately questioning for me on basically the reality of life. What's it all about? Because he he struggled a lot through the farm, through the pub, and then he finally fell on his feet. Working, he loved working in the service station and living on the coast because he'd fish every chance he got. Mm. And then in about two years, he had a heart attack. So that was it. Um, so I was immediately questioned. So at 16, I was riding my bike down the street in Tarthra, and there was a little sign there, meditation, outside of the house. And um, I sort of ride past it, and I didn't even know much about it. So eventually I knocked on the door, and uh, his name is Pat. He was an elderly gentleman, grey hair, and he taught to transcendental meditation. You know, he had the, um, he'd been initiated, and he could initiate people in it. And my friend and I decided we were going to do it, and he basically, at that time, I think it's still the same. It was based on the average Australian income, but because we were school kids, he just let us have it for very little money. I can't remember what we paid. Mm. And we got our mantra and took initiation and transcendental meditation. That was my first experience. I was still 16 mm. at the time. So I tried my best with it, of course. And then went through school and finished school, and um, I was really thirsty for answers so basically I went and worked in Canberra and did the usual things you know partying and all those things in my 18 to 20 and then I went to India when I was 21 mm. I think mm. searching and I, I, was, I guess I was really thirsty because there's this thing that had happened to my father you know it was really driving me um, yeah, do you want me to elaborate about that other time working and so on? I mean, it was pretty tedious. I've got to get him a job. Oh, mate, trust me. I'm interested about your dad because at 48, he should not have passed away and obviously would have inhaled a lot of uh, secondhand smoke and probably put a few beers down and so forth uh, himself. And uh, obviously his body said that's enough. Yeah, yeah, he drank a lot, he smoked a lot. He smoked Winfield Red as strong as you can get. Yeah, yeah, and he, yeah. he smoked a lot. He tried to give up just before he died, actually. But, uh, yeah, heavy smoker, heavy drinker. And believe it or not, the culture of that time, he didn't have his first drink till he was 21. Mm. Because, you know, my mum and dad grew up in that rural area. There was no alcohol. Yeah, yeah. So they caught the cusp of that wave and didn't know... They literally didn't, you know, the Marlboro Man and all that stuff, they literally didn't know that smoking was harmful. Yeah. yeah. I know that sounds very naive, but That's these right. are country people. That's what the TV taught us, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> country people. And alcohol was, I mean, none of their parents had ever drank. So mm. they sort of, my mum and dad met for the country dance um, and the boys would have a beer or two, you know, like it was really, and smoke cigarettes. Mm. It was really... Really new, so of course he probably started drinking and using it, and then of course probably turned into medication. And I really couldn't say if it was an alcoholic or not because it was never he died before it was ever really discovered. You know, mm. I would say he was a heavy drinker though. Mm. 
quite a big drinker. And yeah, like I said, the stress of the pub would have made him drink a lot more. Yeah, no, no doubt. And could, passive smoking. Well, unfortunately, you, you, your customers force you. You know, they're always trying to urge you on as well. <laughs> oh, no doubt. I remember it well. <laughs> you know, come and have a drink with us and with that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, pretty. It's a, it's a tough area. I mean, rural Australia, I would say, it's all like that. And there are no other social options for people other than the pub in mm. some of these areas. Mm. People people need to gather. They like to gather. That's the whole idea about having a practice community, it's hunger. Mm. But in those communities, there's only one option yeah, together. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting, Mark. Like, you know, we, we look now at healthful community gatherings and unhealthful community gatherings and... Um, you know, that, 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 that's it in its essence, I guess. And that's what a lot of people in regional Australia, they gravitate towards uh, that social connection um, with sport, which involves drinking and obviously pubs, which involves drinking. And, and I, I was brought up in the, in the same environment, mate. I, I, I had like an awareness back then, but there was nothing else for me to do. If I wanted to be connected with people, then I had to go and take those uh, lifestyle behaviours. Yes, exactly, yeah, yeah. Because we want, we want community. Mm. And um, unfortunately, it brings some bad habits with it. Mm. So, um, yeah, but I, I, I guess as we evolve, we keep looking for other communities and other ways to support ourselves. Mm. So, yeah, so interesting, mate. So you, you, you took the trip to, uh, to India and that obviously would have opened up your, uh, your awareness quite considerably. Yeah, well, when I was working in Canberra, I, I worked there a couple of years. I had a... I, I had a I didn't really know what to do when I left school, so I just applied for a government job and eventually got on and thought, oh, well, I was just doing, going to do that, sort of stumbling my way around, really. Mm. But then through that experience, I got to save enough money, obviously, to take off to India. And I wanted to go for a couple of years, which I did initially. And um, while I was there, I just started doing some yoga when I was 21, um, Ananda style yoga. Mm the form and I loved it and her name was Medanta, the teacher and uh, of course every time she'd ask me I'd fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't aware I wasn't aware of how much stress I was carrying. <laughs> anyway, so that was my first real experience of yoga, other than a couple of books I'd read, and starting TN meditation, which I'd still been doing but never really fully committed to it until much later. And then I took off to India and yeah, I guess it was a, as a saying, a stormy search for the self, you know, like self-discovery, and I was asking around, and I read a book about Ramana Maharishi, which I just fell in love with, and from there I started asking people, and someone I met at a cafe in Delhi said, uh, he has a student in uh, Lucknow, so he's still alive, with one of his only descendants left. Uh, his name's uh, Papaji or Punjaji. Mm. So he, I said, okay, I want, and he'd just been there and he told me how great it was. Well, I wanted to go. and um, But I was going to go to Rish. I was already brought a train to Rishikesh. And I went to Rishikesh and was having a good time there. And then, because um, it was extremely interesting, as you can imagine, just traveling around India to a 22 year old by this stage. And then, uh, lost, had lost the contact, but I met someone else who'd been with him. So fortunately I got his address and that was, I took that as a sign and 
soon as I could, I went to, to Lucknow to meet Papaji. And yeah, it was like a, a process of, um, yeah, meeting a master. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I sort of listened to what he'd say and I think I went and asked him a question the first time you could go and approach him with a letter. And just had this immediate connection with him that, of course, being so young and so naive around this whole thing, I didn't really know what was going on, but I I was so keen to travel around India, so I I stayed there two weeks and then I left. And whatever experience I'd had with him sort of wore off really quick. Mm. And um, off I went travelling through India and I was down south somewhere. And I'd taken some notes. He had no published books at the time. But there was a book called Wake Up and Roar of his uh, conversations and I'd taken that with me. And at one time I was sick in Sri Lanka and I was there getting a new visa. And I started to read it and I thought, oh, this is this is what I'm looking for. Because I've been to a couple of other teachers. I even went to Amaji's ashram in the early days um, before she was quite well known. It's in 1993. And then I... I thought, oh, I just knew I just had to go back. So I went back to, to Lucknow from the south of India right to the north. And that's when it started to turn. Yeah, I just really... It's very, very difficult to explain to someone who doesn't have a master or a guru or yeah. whatever word you want to use because there's so much scepticism around it. But yes. I guess I just fell in love with this guy. <laughs> 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 he was 80, 82 or something at the time. And I just couldn't. It was just amazing. Just kept blowing my head off. Mm. And you go and have conversations with him. And I guess in the beginning, when I was young, sixteen, I needed some answers, and I was—I would say—I was looking for the truth. Yeah. And I felt like when I met him, like he had the answers. You know, mm. he was speaking the truth, and it was just a gut feeling. So I don't know how to explain that. Yeah. Obviously, you can explain it on a karmic level, but. Um, so he's been my root guru ever since then. Um, since then, I've had yoga teachers and um, a Zen master who's been my main Zen master. Mm, incredible. Who I ordained, ordained with um, 2003. So you, you've honoured, obviously, what's, what's happened here is you've missed out on, on getting the, the mentoring and the nurturing from your dad, but. You've been able to, to utilise his passing to be able to seek someone that's been able to give you some further guidance, wisdom, enlightenment, you know, pathways, um, which were so much more profound than what you would have maybe learnt from the environment that you were brought up in. And um, I just think all this has happened and unfolded for you beautifully uh, for, for, for a reason because you've been able to sort of observe different ways of being as a human, which, um, you know, are, are, are totally uh, different ends of the of the spectrum, I guess. Yes, exactly. I mean, any, anyone who grows up in rural Australia has experienced quite a bit of suffering, whether you like it or not, because it's such a harsh experience. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of nurturing, you know, regardless, even if your parents are quite nurturing, the, the, the environment's quite tough. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, there is a, there's a paradigm in the Vedic tradition of the spiritual father, and you could say that, but the importance of that is it's not a transference. It's, you, know, you only have one father, one blood father. Mm. The fact is, you can't replace that. In my 
my relationship with my my father is, is, is that alone, but you can have a spiritual guide who yeah. represents the, the spiritual parlour, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, they can coexist. Obviously, transference could be an issue with if you had unresolved issues, you know, but uh, I think they need to coexist for their nourishment to be there. Mm. It also, in the Chan tradition, they call it Shifu. This is a Zen, Zen tradition, Shifu, which means teacher father. It's like a an aspect of the teacher. It can be feminine as well, it depends who your teacher is, but... Uh, mm, yeah, so... Um, but as you said, he was my, he's been my main guide. Yeah, I guess, you know, Mark, you, you're very fortunate, but, but all this happened for a reason for you, but a lot of, a lot of guys, young and old, have not had that that mentorship, it's so, so powerful to be able to have someone that you can uh, have uh, an alignment with that can, that can really guide you to be able to be more conscious and to be able to do things um, uh, within yourself to keep yourself aware enough to make sure that you understand who you, who you are and um, to be able to you know, um, uh, keep consistently challenging you to be, uh, you know, a better individual and a better human because you know if that happens and there's so many other people that will affect right rather than someone that's really not not able to um you know achieve what's what's possible and what their potential actually is yes uh yeah i mean it's only become i mean i'm even reading steve widow's book recently mm. where it's part of all traditions to have mentors and teachers your entire life mm until the day you die, where it's, it's a, in our Western culture, which really push, pushes individuality and independence, yeah. uh, which is, is the cause of the isolation that is inherent in our culture. Mm. Because, you know, Buddhist psychology, the whole mentorship is based on interdependence the whole time. Mm. You know, all the Buddhist teachings rely on interdependence. And like in my tradition, Master Dogen uses the, the idea that a practice community is like a forest. Every tree can stand on its own, but they lean on each other in an independent function. Mm, true. It's interdependent, I should say. So this, there's a balance of self-reliance and other reliance the whole time. So relying on others, but also relying on yourself. Um, I would say the main theme of the issues that I... I work with in teaching is this uh, forced independence that people yes, have yes. from the cultural cultural um, embeddedness in their cult consciousness. But the fact is, we don't do anything by ourselves ever. I mean, every, somebody is always responsible for growing our vegetables. If we drink milk, you know, someone milks the cow. Mm. There's always someone involved that supports us. And yet we still have this idea, this misidentification that we're independent. Yes, we're separate. And, yeah, yeah. And there's not a moment, there's not a moment where we are. Mm. Oh, I agree, except mate. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, except at the moment where we're sitting alone in our house. <laughs> but even then, someone, someone built the house. <laughs> exactly, that's it. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's always a connection to, to things that are on our life, like someone built the phone that I'm talking to you on and uh, the devices and so forth that we have. But isn't it amazing how a tree, how the roots go under the earth, but all of a sudden they find another tree to link up with and how they intertwine together? Exactly, yeah. Mm. 
share the same root system. That's right. That's it. And so it's the same as humans, but where we've just been, uh, we've, we've been forced to be independent of that and not not to be connected. And that that's the that's the issues, the, 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 those shocks and fears and shames and guilt that have been embedded in ourselves that 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 help us um, feel separate uh and you know it, it takes a lot of work to be able to release that and that's why yoga is so good because it actually like helps you release a lot of the blocked energy that's in your body so you can actually become more connected with yourself and when you're more connected with yourself you can be more connected with others would you agree yeah 100 percent. you gotta try mm-hmm. so you know you hear the body and then you get in more touch with yourself but the, the next the next realm that you enter is there's exposure self-exposure so to have a decent relationship with someone, you have to be willing to risk the exposure. Mm. And that, that means our failings. Mm. Mm. You know, things we're, we're ashamed, as you said, that we're ashamed of or that we think we have to hide. Or, but the more we risk and the more we expose, the more connected we feel. That's the paradox. Yeah. Yep. That, that, that's exactly so, right. Yeah, but we're so, we're so, we're so afraid as, as guys to be able to step into that. What, what is it, do you think? Sorry, can you say that again? Good question. Like we're, we're so afraid to, to make these changes as guides, guys, and you know, move out of our stuck behaviours. Um, that that's that's confronting. What what is it? Do you think it is with regards to guys in, you know, in regional communities or, or just just people in general to be able to you know find the courage to change their their way? Well, I mean, I'd like to you know refer to Steve Bidell's model really because the fact is that. Since the Industrial Revolution and, you know, men were made to go to war and all these other, were taken from the homes and into the factories. Um, prior to that, we were more tribal, more primal, and, we, and men were around the families a lot more, just mm. based on the way we functioned and lived. Mm. But as things evolved, we were taken out of the homes. And then if you give someone a gun and send them off to war, you basically, the education of that process is do not feel, do mm. not feel your feelings. Mm. Mm. Do not feel vulnerable. Um, and so what happened over the generations is, you know, a woodenness, a hardness created around men so that they stop being able to feel. Mm. Mm, and if you can't feel, you can't share. And they stop sharing and then they isolate and then they drink or they do whatever else they do to medicate the pain. And there's truth about Maori cultures where after war they would go to these hot springs and grieve both the loss of their friends and also probably the people they had to harm in the process because you know sometimes battles were inevitable mm. so they would grieve and then after grieving then they would go back to the community but our culture doesn't do that we after war then we give them a job and send them to the pub Mm-hmm. Mm, that's right. Which, which fortunately is now changing. Yeah, it I think it is. You're right. Absolutely, mate. I, I always talk about, you know, the the war thing is it's has been born into us. Like our fathers, probably father went to war, or someone in our in our lineage has gone to war, and that trauma's come through. Um, but I just think we've got a, an opportunity. I talk about it quite a bit. Is you know to be able to heal the seven uh, the seven generations before us, so the next seven generations can be better. And uh, yeah, th- th- things are shifting now to be able to, to, to be able to access that. That's right. Yeah, I mean, there's a new wave. I mean, a new generation of men are encouraged to feel. Mm. 
That's right. So um, I know when I started therapy, it was like, well, if I start doing this work, can I still be a man? Because, um, you know, you need the balance of being able to be strong and be able to hold when you need to be able to hold, but also be vulnerable and let yourself fall apart when you need to. You need to be able to balance it out and do both. Yeah, yep, agree. But the hardness, the hardness develops from not being able to be soft at times. Mm. And then what happens is once you let yourself have those moments and you can be stronger and you can be better at achieving what you need to achieve as a man. Mm. That's true. We're nowhere near our, our human potential, Mark, um, you know, because we're, we're stuck in those belief systems which keep us blocked. Um, we can certainly te- talk deeply about that. Um, yeah, to be able to, to let go and surrender some of those belief systems and do the work to be able to heal, I think, uh, is within all of us. You know, we're, we're just so so reluctant to do things which are healthful, um, you know, that, that can actually, like, help help remove those blockages and to be able to, to, to move on with our lives. And it would be interesting to, to hear about your own journey and what you've been able to, you know, achieve with your own body and so forth. But... Um, you, you've obviously taken a real journey to be able to get the best out of your physical body uh, and to be able to continually do that throughout your life so you can keep yourself uh, in, in good condition physically, which can obviously help you mentally, which can help you spiritually as well and, and help you keep more connected. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, after, after I met Papa G, I realised, you know, the, I'd done that little bit of yoga, but then, um, yeah, I just... We spent, I spent a lot of time, there was one point where I lived with him for six months in a flat and near his house and you know, used to go to see him every day, things like that. And then, so in total I was in just about three years off and on, but mm. then I, he passed away in 97 mm. and I was, I just didn't know how to sustain the connection of the feelings of the, because that part through him is really a, Jhana path or bhakti, whichever is most appealing to you, mm. through self-inquiry or through devotion. Um, and then I discovered yoga at a whole other level because I've done a little bit of my yoga. Mm. So when I was traveling in India, and then I, uh, the order of it's all sort of messed up now because I, I go back in and come back. And, and then I, I started with Nicky Knopf and James Bryan they were my main yoga teachers. I spent a couple of years with them. Mm. And in between that, I'd go to, back to India and I worked with Iyengar, Rico Iyengar and Papi Joyce as well. And it's just, as you said earlier, that the harmony of the body-mind allows for the introspection that happens as a natural product of yoga. Mm. You know, the fifth, fifth limb, Pratyahara, means that, you know, that they... But different systems say it differently, but the first four limbs or five limbs of yoga are external and the last three are internal. Yeah. Dharana, Samani, we're class three. And to allow that introspection, then your body has to be, um, how do you say it, probably as harmonious as it can be. It doesn't have to be a certain amount of flexibility, but just certainly not too much heat, too much fire, not too much hardness. Um, or woodenness, so it's the true, you know, supple, and, and your breath has to be able to flow through so that your mind can function freely. Mm. Mm. So I, 
I know that a lot of people feel that my motivation is the body, but actually it's the mind. That's mm. what I'm mostly interested in. Mm. Especially as a Zen meditator and a teacher, it's like you have to be able to unify your mind because, as we all know, it can go in a thousand directions. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yes, yeah, yeah. So, so we want to bring it back to a single point through this investigation so we can cultivate wisdom and deeper insights. Because when you talk about the human potential, to me that doesn't mean what we achieve in the material sense, but rather what we discover through the internal pathways of wisdom and compassion. Mm. That's true. That, I feel, is our greatest human potential. Oh, without a doubt, I talk about it a lot. You know, uh, really that, that's, that's the heart-centered behaviours that, uh, that, that, that connect us, right? Uh, yeah. You know, that, you know, love, kindness, gratitude, all those sorts of things are coming from from the centre of the individual, but the, the, the lower consciousness levels of judgment, fear, comparison, shame, guilt, all that, which the colonial model, like, let's be honest, is trying to keep us in consistently. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. So being able so, to... So, yeah, I mean, about, I know I, I, I practice advanced Asunga and, you know, you know, on an external level, you can say, well, that looks like a certain way. But the fact is, it's only to develop more introspection, but only certain people need the advanced asanas. Not, not many people need it. Mm. Um, most people who do the advanced series are avata because they have more range of movement and um, more access to poses. So they actually need the advanced poses to get the same level of penetration. I think I'm one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Most people can get enough out of just doing primary series or something equivalent in another system in terms of levels of yoga poses. Mm. Mm. Um, and yeah, I've had to discover that for myself because obviously when you're young, you think, oh, that's great and I want to do that and do this, but then eventually you give it up. You have to let it go because it's a whole mental construct. Mm. But then when you see that there's a need for some people to have it, otherwise they can't steady the mind, mm. then you see that, okay, they are advanced posters are an aid, they are a support for certain people, but they're certainly not a goal. Mm. That's interesting, Mark. You know, this has been coming to me for years. You know, I, as, as we've discussed, I've you know, practiced and taught and, and learned various um, uh, lineages of yoga, but I, I'd have to run for a few hours to get my mind settled. You know, like I, I sort of come from that background of running, which, which come from a background of poor lifestyle behaviour, so that was the way I sort of got out of it. But, but if I do an asana series, which is challenging, that's why Bikram was probably pretty good because when I come out of there, I felt like, you know, so, you know, reasonably balanced and centred again. And you've, you've really highlighted to me that for me to be able to, like I have a Vata body type, uh, for me to be able to, to utilise a practice which can really, I wouldn't say challenge me, but be able to, to, to unlock energy in my body, which will, will help me become more uh, uh, able to fro- flow freely. Uh, my breath will, will be able to flow and my mind will follow that. My body will follow that eventually, you know. And I think that's, that's, right. that's a conversation that I, I need to have with you again because it's really important for me as an individual. I turned 50 this year to be able to, to utilize a practice like that, which can, can continually help me grow. Yes, exactly, yeah. Yeah, because I, I walk every day, I mean, uh, it's part of Buddha, my Buddhist practice would be walking meditation, but, mm. but mine is, you know, fairly vigorous, they walk fairly briskly, not slow, there's two types, slow walking meditation, which is we do on retreat, yep. but normal walking pace, 
Um, so I walk every day about 40 minutes as well because I, uh, in Chinese, um, my, my wife's an acupuncturist, so basically lung deficient constitution, I need quite a bit of exercise yeah. as, a, as a natural part of my makeup. But, but the same with the yoga, we do, even though I said that the limitation of advanced poses, we all need to stretch our capacity because when you stretch your capacity, your, your nervous system gets stronger and then it relaxes better. Yes. So exactly what you're saying is that we all need to challenge our range, but obviously if the ego gets involved or it's striving, of course that actually interrupts the healing. All right, so that's where it's a razor's edge, really. Mm. Mm, interesting. And playing that razor's edge, you, you, it's good to have a good teacher or a good guide in some way because they, they're going to help you to define that really sensitive point, that precious point of where you're getting the most benefit from the most intensity without overstepping. Mm, interesting. Like the sweet spot, if that makes sense, in, in, the, in the yoga practice. It is. Isn't it interesting, though, like the average person like that I'll have on the mat will consistently judge themselves throughout the whole practice. And in the last five minutes, oh, like they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll let go in the last five minutes and surrender, and that's when things will start to work better. It's, it's, it's no different than when you're running. Like someone that's running, they'll judge themselves the whole time, look at the watch. But when they let go, then that's when the real stuff starts to, to really occur because you're not so stuck in your mind and that tension is going into your body. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, we, we do live in a competitive culture, unfortunately. Mm. So everyone's result-oriented result in the mind. Mm. Mm. Do you know about the three gurnets? I mean, that's sort of the rejastic approach. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've got to keep reminding myself of that. Yeah, it's a rajasic. So rajasic is always competitive and always striving. Mm. And, you know, in a more sattvic approach, it'd be, it's like you begin from a harmonious state and you practice it in accord with that. But, you know, we can't, it's almost impossible to hold sattva as a constant. We always move between tamas, rajas and sattva. But what we're trying to cultivate is primar primarily sattvic. So it's, you know, we're mostly something. It's the ideal. Mm. Mm. That's true. Absolutely. The, but we always, we always experience tamas and <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we go back to that. Well, why is That's it, right. Mark? Is it, it's part of our education to be comparative and competitive and, uh, and, and all that, you know. It's just our ingrained belief system. Is that ever going to let go? Is it ever going to let go? Yeah. Well, you said earlier about seven generations, mm. intergenerational trauma. Mm. So if we, as a generation now, educate the next generation that there's nothing really to strive for, that being in the present moment is the way you can live your life and enjoy your life. Yeah. Just, just value, change the value system, the culture. Because when we came out of the, um, the Great Depression, it was all about economic growth because we have to grow to get out of suffering. Mm, right? mm, mm. But in this generation, it's like, now we have to stop doing that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stop, stop, stop growing economically and start stopping. <laughs> mm, that, that's, yeah, well said, absolutely. So the more, the, more, the more we stop, the better we'll feel. Mm, mm. So that's the, that's the basis of um, Buddhism and yoga in terms of meditation. Mm, it, begin, mm. it begins with stopping. Mm, that's true. I've, I've been advocating that for so long. 
uh, you know, slowing down, stopping, because everyone I know is Yang. You know, I, I went, uh, as you know, I went back to Victoria 2017. I, I, after I did my initial yoga teacher training, I went back and then I started to get more into yin. I started to teach yin to help people slow down. And, um, and, and that was profound, Mark, because all I'd show them was basic stretches, which uh, were achievable. And that just, over, over time, it helped their mind settle. And, and then they got back to the feeling of, of coherence again. And, and all of a sudden, you know, sports people would come along and they'd, their bodies would work better and then their, their minds would be more settled and they'd get results from that. And there's definitely something in that which they hadn't been exposed to before. Because the whole, the whole philosophy, like in that area and it's everywhere, you know, you would have known dad had to work hard because uh, he needed to bring money in for the family and then he went from the dairy farm into the pub and so forth. And that whole money thing um, that drove him uh, ended his life prematurely. But, um, you know, like for, to, to be able to help someone like him learn to stop, uh, if you can disrupt that behaviour to be able to do these things and bring them into your daily life, then all of a sudden, you know, you are more self-aware as an individual and you can become more balanced and conscious. Would you agree? Yes, yes, correct. I mean, in my own father's case, he was the oldest of seven boys and he worked in his father's bakery from a young childhood yeah and i think his parents survived some something that happened in world war ii i, I don't imagine i don't know what really but it just wasn't much of life there was yeah. only work and yeah coming out of that and um, suffering of the world the war and i think my father just had a lot of unresolved pain and suffering that he never got to talk about or resolve because in those rural areas there was no counseling uh, nothing mm. Mm. No, no support for men at all. No, absolutely not. Which, which again, is the, the culture of the pub, and then, of course, the alcohol on top of that is a recipe for disaster. Mm, so you right. end up with these chronic health problems. Mm. Um, but, yeah, the striving of the culture, basically the, the psychology that drives it is that we have, we have to do to have to be. So you'll meet a bunch of guys sitting around, and everyone will be talking about what they have. See? Mm. What I'm doing and what I have. Mm. And and eventually I'm going to be. I'm just going to. I'm going to have set up this beautiful lifestyle, and then I'm just going to be. But no one ever gets to that stage because they don't know how to stop. Yes. So if, if we reverse it, where you just start by being, just being, and then you can do, and then you can have mm. after mm. that, after the fact. But you're starting from the the wrong, from the uh, a more holistic basis of time for just being. Yeah. Time for stopping. Amazing. And ideally, it's a regular part of life. It is, uh, Mark. You know, what, what came to me about oh, 10 years ago was a realisation that I didn't have to go away on holidays to feel like I was on holidays. Cause, oh, so, yeah, so, so, yeah. so you'd work hard, then you'd go away for a couple of weeks and you'd feel relaxed and you'd get back into this stress mode again. But to be able to learn to find that sense of calmness every day can give you that sense of bump, uh, balance and, and calmness which you, you achieve when you're actually having a break. So to be able to have that break every day in small moments, I sort of try and dedicate you know 10% of my day to my, my well-being, which is you know in the morning so I can, I can do practices which help get me grounded and some days that works really well, other days you know things might agitate me but I just understand that uh, having that as my, my, my centre and my base is, is really important. And these are the things that I'd never learned growing up. 
Uh, it was all about what you said about you know, following a pathway and, and producing and achieving and all these sorts of things. And then at the end of it, you, you put money in your super, then you could have a rest. <laughs> as long as your body made it through. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So we, we have got it asked about. Yeah, basically. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, asked about. That's right. Pretty yeah. much. But, you know, what you're experiencing now is, yeah, I've just been that back to the three gunas. Like, that's a more uh, subtle way of approaching it, where you've got mm. some time and space every day for that nourishment. Mm. Whereas, you know, when the rejastic life, where you just flog yourself through work and then you have a break and you go into tunnels, where you just rest, right? And you go back to work and then just log yourself again. So that's that's Rajas mm. and, and Thomas sort of interplaying there. Mm. But then, as you said, you have the insight of, I'll do this, I'll do it every day. Just have some time for nourishment. Mm, mm. That's right. It's and that's so what the, the Ayurvedic systems and the yoga systems are all based on that. Mm. See, see, if the average Aussie, Aussie man, it's changed now, Mark. We've been lucky for these moments in time, but... Uh, the average guy, uh, the self-nourishment and yoga was very weird and uh, foreign. It's only been the last couple of genera- couple of decades where it's become more mainstream here. You got, you got into it quite early, um, uh, you know, so you didn't follow the traditional path. But, but you know, I, I just think this is a practice that can be embraced by anyone at any age that can, that can really help them find out a little bit more about themselves body mind but once you've got that sort of working well then the the connection or the the vertical sorry the horizontal connection uh, the vertical connection becomes a lot more profound so you are uh, uh, um, more connected to to all of creation and we're all working for the same boss right so <laughs> <laughs> the big guy yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it yeah, yeah. so you actually yeah, become right. more aware of, of life uh, as a whole rather than you know what's going on between your ears yeah yeah exactly exactly it's amazing so so you uh, i'm really interested personally about you know being able to to do more within myself because i, I i'm nearly 50 and i just think that i've got the ability to be able to to, to discover more about my own body, which will help my awareness, which, um, uh, you know, will help my breath flow, flow, flow freelier so my mind becomes more settled and coherent and um, uh, the connection with the heart is much stronger. And, you know, it doesn't matter how we are as individuals, what our bodies are like, they will always change. Our bodies are always trying to be healthy and if we can bring in more healthful practices which, which support that, I guess that's, that's so much more powerful than the practices that are um, that are taking us away from that, um, you know, religiously. I guess. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I mean, I don't want to preach it or promote it as something people should do. But if you have time each day for both you know, reflection and silence, is mm. I. But as a monk, I meditate twice a day, but that's a part of the commitment that I made to my own teacher. But mm. it's not for everyone to have to do that. But sitting, meditating once a day for 20 or 30 minutes, what's happening there is you, you, you're stopping and then you're closing your sense doors and then you're having that quiet time with your breath and you're getting to experience yourself mm. every day. Mm. And most of the day, we won't. But the... The reverse that happens is that because we have that 20 minutes or 30 minutes a day where we do do it, it actually carries through the rest of the day. Mm, mm. So that self-awareness and that 
how am I feeling? How, how am I going? What's going on for me? Is there because we've stopped for 20 or 30 minutes. And so we can then carry it through our walking, our the, the activities we do around the house or when, when we go to work or when we're engaging with others. Mm. Mm. So I do feel daily meditation is really, really, I won't say essential because not everyone has to do it, but like in our tradition we call it um, daily food mm. yeah, or daily nourishment. There's a joke about, you know, when you, when you, when you start meditation, People, people look at you and say, wow, what happened to you? What have you been doing? <laughs> <laughs> and you say, I'm meditating. And then when you stop, people say, oh, what happened to you? <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. That, that's true. Yeah, yeah, you become angry again. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> All the habits come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's but, it. Yeah, it's definitely worth, if I can encourage anyone, just, you know, take it up, whatever you can do. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting, Mark, like something that was present for me there was I had days and I had like periods of being in complete flow consistently. And a lot of that come early from pushing my body in the morning. So my breath was just in this nice, nice rhythm. And then I was more balanced throughout my day and everything sort of worked really well. And when I sort of stopped pushing my body physically as much, um, then then the, the, the monkey mind started to become more more active. But um, what you're saying is to be able to um, to do some things which get your breath into a nice harmony, that can really set you up and, and, and impact your day ahead. That's right. Mm. It so, can stay with you. Yeah, yeah. What, so what sort of practices would you recommend for someone that's starting out? Uh, very simply following the breath, just following the exhalation, not the inhalation, just the exhalation. Um, you can even do it lying down mm. if you can't sit upright, but mm. you can just, uh, one of our introductory practices is counting the breaths. So you just count the exhalation, one, and then you just wait for the next exhalation and then you count two and you just, if you get lost in thinking, you come back to one, mm. or if you make it to ten, which rarely happens, you can start again. You can start again at one, but it's yeah. not a goal. What happens in, again in our culture? People make it a goal to get to ten, but it's not. The idea is to follow the next breath. Each one, just yeah. the next breath. Yep. Just the breath you're with. Um, I read an article recently where someone just said, "I, I just try to count to three and then go back to one," mm. which is good because they're struggling to. So, you know, any counting whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. But that's very introductory. Or sometimes just following the breath, just following the exhalation. Mm. Um, it's it's non-sectarian. It's one of Buddha's most uh, primary practices. All, all other Buddhist uh, meditation practices stem from full awareness of breathing. Mm. That was the first sutra he gave on, on uh, meditation. Mm. Um, but other than that, there are a lot of apps and a lot of new things around um, that are very good introductory for people. If you're starting war with nothing, you know, a lot of the yogic stuff is very uh, very basic and it captures your attention a lot easier than Buddhist practices, which 
can sometimes require a little bit of foundation and practice first. Yeah, yep, agreed. So some people need, need to do yoga first before they can even start to feel their breath. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I agree. It could be because you come connected with it right, right through the suit, through the um, through the uh, the Surya Namaskar series. You know, to be able to exactly, yeah. open up the body, which opens up the chest, which opens opens up the breath. Exactly, yeah. And then then, then people can start to feel the breath. Oh, this is my breath. Yeah, okay. Mm, mm, that's it. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, uh, it's 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 really. It's, it's not rocket science, a lot of this stuff, but we, we sort of make life challenging and we don't find time to, to nourish ourselves. And you know, I always talk about life for me was uh, waking up, putting on uh, Sunrise, a TV show, and putting, getting put into fear really quickly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah in the first five minutes of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. But, yeah, but, yeah. but really, to be able to disconnect with that sort of stuff, to reconnect with yourself by doing some, some stillness practice, but also some, some movement like this, which can open up our physical body, uh, will be able to help us become a bit more self-aware and, and conscious of ourselves. And I think once we do that, we actually start to be more compassionate with other people. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, we talk about contact. Contact is just when you have contact with yourself and then contact with others. And we're trying to rid ourselves of our discriminating mind. That's the idea of, of an awakened state, is free of discrimination. Mm. You know, the wisdom of non-discrimination. So the, the mind is constantly picking and choosing. Mm. So we, we do it for ourselves, you know, criticising ourselves, picking and choosing, craving the versions, and then we do it to others. Mm. And then we do it to the world, always picking and choosing. But it's, it's always about how we're feeling. This basic bit of psychology is that when your sense, like your eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, when your sense comes in touch with an object, form, sound, smell, taste, touch, you know, those big tactile objects, it creates an internal response. Does that make sense? I so see. if my eyes see a form, that creates an internal response. Now, whatever that response is, we discriminate. Mm. We think it's really good or we think it's really bad. Mm. And then, then we start the cycle. So if we, if we can slow things down enough that we can develop this mindful observation where we're just observing our responses, just by observing our response, we're creating change. Mm, true. Okay, so when you see another, another person, we will naturally discriminate. We'll try to categorise them into something or we can just simply be aware and observe and meet the person. So there's three, three types of perception. One is direct, one is representation, and one is mirror images. But direct perception is where you just, what it calls it, think things in themselves. Mm. But like if you see a person or you see a, an object, you literally just directly perceive it. That's, that's the most pure form of perception, and it's linked to suchness or Buddha nature, you could say. Yeah. In our daily life, we rarely have experienced direct perception. You will have experienced it yourself. You know, you have a moment, you're looking at nature, looking at a mountain, and then you just have this experience like you're a part of it all. No mind. No mind, exactly. Mm. Yeah, direct perception. Yep, yep. But usually we're in the realm of representational <laughs> images where our discriminating mind is functioning. We're picking and choosing. Mm. 
if that makes sense. Absolutely. So no. when I true this more, more mindfulness practice, there'll be more uh, more awareness and less discrimination, and basically we feel more at peace with our environment. Mm. You know, Mark, like a lot of the other creatures on this planet are in that, that consistent state all the time. It's just that the human mind is uh, is geared to be, you know, um, you know, it's different. It's beautiful in many ways, but it's also, you know, quite um, quite distractive and disruptive in many ways. And uh, we haven't been taught the skills on how to be able to manage that. And, and that's a key a key component to be able to um, not only uh, well, it's obviously it's there to manage our, our mental health because when our mental health is working well, we probably become more connected with our physical health. We've just been so conditioned to maybe look after our physical health more. Um, whereas the mental side of things and being able to, to keep that um, balanced and be able to utilise both hemispheres, I suppose, uh, within some, some uh, within the harmony, I suppose, is, is something that we've got the capability of, but we just haven't trained ourselves to to be able to do that. Yes, yes. I, I think it's... And I, I think at this point, this is where a Dharma study comes in, you know, having exposure... To teachings on a regular basis or a practice community on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. Because it's very difficult to do on your own. Um, I mean, I think you can do quite a bit because now we've got a lot of online services. Mm. So you can live in a rural area and, you know, listen to Dharma talks, read Dharma books, um, you know, just have constant exposure to teachings or whatever. But it's very difficult to practice without some sort of group or other people. I mean, Tiknaan says that we only need three people to make a sangha, mm. to make a practice communion. So, you know, two or three people can get together and just do yoga together or something simple mm. and, you know, talk about wholesome things like teachings or some of the stuff we're talking about today. Mm. Um, but the more exposure we get, they call it Dharma rain. It's like the rain falling on the earth. The more exposure we get, the more it eventually soaks in to mm. our store consciousness. Mm. Mm. And in relation to store consciousness, the more we feed it wholesomeness, you know, eventually it sprouts, it starts to take root. Yeah, yeah. So we start to access books and teachings that mm, appeal to us. Mm. Makes sense, makes so much sense. We become so disconnected from from that. But it's the innate knowing that we all have within us to be able to, to you know, access this type of stuff but we 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 failed to uh to do that and i know with myself mark where i live like i don't have that sangat here like people around me that we, i can collaborate with regularly we don't have a yoga studio here so you know there's no none of that uh, place for gathering for healing um so i've got to go and teach you know in a dance studio uh and, and those sorts of things but i just think it's so important for for communities to be able to embrace wellness practices like this, which can really help them. Um, you know, that, that's probably a real passion of mine in the future to be able to do more of that. You know, gyms are great. You know, we don't ever even have a gym here, but, um, you know, that's one thing. But to be able to find somewhere where you can find, um, you know, harmony uh, with not only yourself, but harmony with other individuals is so important. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess that's why, I mean, when I first came here, um, I just always thought out, you know, Sangha, because I'd lived in, in India with Papaji a lot, and yeah. I, you know, hung out in many, many different practice communities over there in India. And, um, 
Yeah, then I came here, I met Suzanne and Cameron, and we, you know, they'd already started the Gold Coast Yoga Centre, and then it's been going for 25 years, mm. practising in this community. So it's it just feels really important. I know from my rural background that I did not want to go back to just, just rural Australia. Mm. But, you know, to plant some roots here where these centres can grow, but then people can come and tap into that from rural areas. If, it's, if they're well-established centres, mm. people can tap into it and then start to be messages, messages to their own communities. Yeah, true. Like exactly what you're doing. Yeah, um, yeah. Where you are, you are teaching yoga. People will get exposed to it. Mm. And eventually you get enough people that it does start to develop a little sangha. Mm, that's true. Oh, trust me, I have the same people that come back every week uh, I'm yep. only able to do one class at the moment, but uh, same people come back, you know, they're, they're getting lots from it and um, uh, it's helping them be more conscious and self-aware. And, you know, I've been really lucky to have some great teachers over my journey, but, um, you know, I've still got lots of growth and so forth and development to do for myself. So, you know, it's important for me to have maybe a connection with you guys and for you guys to be able to help mentor me into the future because I need that too. You know, I haven't had any any teachings for the last two years. I haven't had any teacher training or I've been involved with anything um, externally. You know, I've done a lot of work to support others, but I haven't really done much uh, self-nourishment as well. So I guess that's that's really important from my own perspective. That's right, yeah. We all need, uh, yeah, we talk about consumption. This is wholesome consumption. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, need to keep, we need to keep nourishing ourselves, ideally daily with some, I, I really try to read something every day. Mm. Something that's inspiring, or I do read a lot of Thich Nhat Hanh, mm. um, and but I read other Buddhist sutras as well, mm. different things, yoga texts, yoga sutras. Uh, just trying something every day while I have my tea, between meditating and doing yoga, mm. read something, mm. um, and maybe a bit at night or some, something like that. I, I don't listen to much audio anymore. I, I did for many years, listen to quite a lot, but a lot of the stuff I'm studying and practicing now is. is it's a bit too specific mm. to um, to just listen to Dharma talks too much, mm. but but I think in the beginning you just need to soak yourself up with whatever you can get. You know, you got to keep listening to stuff, reading stuff, um, and when you can, you know, get to get to some classes or, or training or some sort mm. to, to to feed yourself. Interesting. It's just like a planet that needs that. That needs that fertilization and, and watering and nourishment. Would you agree? One hundred percent, all yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah. You constantly, you constantly need to be feeding your practice, but that that changes all the time, based on you know if you're working with the teacher, what your specific requirements are. You know, it depends. It's, it's such an individual thing. That's why it is good to get some guidance on that. Because mm. some people can overconsume. Dharma, um, and it might be hard to believe that's possible, but it is. Too attached. If, if, they need a specific, if they're in need of a specific teaching and practice, um, then they'll be consuming, but it won't be penetrating. Mm. That makes sense. So then it'll just exhaust the senses for no reason. Mm. Mm. So, you know, some people, um, we tell them to, we put them on a fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, makes yeah, sense. Yeah, we tell them to fast, fast from certain teachings or, um, you yeah, know, my master, my Zen master, when we used to do science tricks with him, he, he'd say, this is called thought fasting. Mm, 
Interesting. You see, so you're spending your whole time just in silence and meditating and so on. So, and sometimes with excess reading, it can be another type of fasting. But, mm. You know, as I say all this, I don't want to confuse anyone because it is we are all specific. So if you check into your side, sometimes because when my master met his master in Japan. His master burned all his books. Oh, really? <laughs> my master, yeah, because my master was caught up in concepts. Mm. So he gave him a specific practice and then burned all his books. But he often said this to us, don't take that as a uniform thing because if you go to another master, they might tell you to read a lot. Mm, true. You see? So it's really not... Uh, it's a really an individual thing, so it makes sure I don't confuse anyone there because if you ask someone who reads a lot, that may be just the right thing for you. Mm, mm, true. And, and vice versa. We are very much unique as individuals and we don't, uh, we don't appreciate that. We're sort of, you know, guided down a certain path with life and that might, may not be for everyone. You know, I actually filled in a survey today about my life and, and upbringing and one of the questions was like, you know, what, 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 was, what was your education like? And I said, well, I never really aligned with school. You know, I, I believe I, I had some form of other level of awareness which didn't agree with the, the pathway that I was being pushed down. But, um, yeah, you, you know, like what, what's working for one person may not work for others and it's being able to find that, uh, that uniqueness within yourself as an individual to be able to find lineage with others that are maybe able to enhance that and support that to, to develop your own growth. Would you agree? Hundred percent, yeah, yeah. There is no one size fits all. Mm. You know, what I mean? in uh, specific, specifically in teaching, um, in in the beginning when you start fresh, and this is for a lot of people starting out if they're new to practice, and so you can try anything, just do do anything, and just find what fits. But uh, the more you go on, things have to simplify, though. Yeah, you have to eventually choose either one method or, or one teacher or one. And I'm not saying someone should choose one teacher. What I mean is that. One way of applying, one 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 uh, one way of instruction. Does that make sense? Yep. Because if you get many different types of instruction, it creates confusion. So, like, like in Zen practice, for example, you spend hours and hours and hours sitting with one method, right? But that method has been refined to a point. So now, at this point, it's really slicing through. Um, what in the yoga surgeries they call the most subtle form of affliction. Mm. You have, you know, you have stula, you have gross affliction, then you have subtle, and then you have um, the subtle of the subtle, we call And then when you get to those levels of affliction, I mean, you're dealing with ancestral roots, you know, intergenerational suffering, you know, many generations of, of uh, samskaras and habits. Mm. So you need that wisdom of God to the, the Berlin to that point. But in the beginning, it's not that important. Mm, mm, that's true. Uh, you, you're right, Mark. It's, uh, that, that's been one of the things for me. I've had various teachings. Kundalini Yoga was a profound um, education for me to become a teacher of that. But, uh, you know, I, I couldn't... There was some disruption with regards to that, uh, that that's gone on over the last few years, which have taken me away from that alignment. But... Um, but a lot of the teachings within that within that, that, that program and the Sikh Dharma and so forth, which go back, you know, hundreds of or thousands of years, uh, probably hundreds of years primarily, but 
um, to be able to, to, to utilize that as a lineage and a pathway to live your life, I think so important. But uh, yeah, for me, I've got to consolidate um, a lot of the things that I've been, uh, been taught to be able to come into uh, alignment with the practice that, uh, that, that can really nourish me. And I guess we're going to have to talk more about that as individuals ourselves to, 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 to hone in on that. And um, I think, you know, what we've, what we've sort of discussed here um, throughout this conversation and other conversations we've had is, is bringing things into alignment for me now, which is, which is beautiful. And, um, um, you know, I guess it's for the individual to be able to, you know, come home to what they're comfortable with themselves that, that can connect with, a practice that can consistently, you know, help them grow and, and give them some challenges and, and um, you know, keep the mind, um, I suppose, uh, uh, well enough to be able to, you know, keep growing rather than sort of, you know, receding and, and going into poor lifestyle thoughts and behaviours and those sorts of things, which you can honestly do, um, you know, your, your positive mind, your negative mind, your neutral mind have all got a role, but... Uh, to be able to you know make that more coherent so you are more in a neutral state and uh, and, and and being able to you know keep connected with yourself and others is, is so important and mark i'd like to know how can people contact you uh after this podcast is there a way that they can connect with you maybe through the gold coast yoga center or, or other channels uh yes probably just best to go through the gold coast yoga center yeah. yes yeah because uh, if you go through the Gold Yoga Centre, you know, you have access to also many other teachers as well. And um, it's just such a great practice community. Mm. So you can contact me through that. Uh, I also have a Facebook page. You can just search me on Facebook as well. Mark Togney, yep. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's through the centre because if you go through the centre, you go through classes and, you know, everything's available there, mm. whatever people want guidance and meditation or yoga practice or you know or furthering studies or whatever they need and, and also it doesn't have to be in person like there's so much that they can learn externally if they're not on the Gold Coast you mean through myself and personally or oh, oh, just through uh, like there, there's online teachings through Gold Coast Yoga Centre that they can access if they wanted yes exactly yeah that's yeah. right yeah. yeah that's really mate Mate, uh, this is only the start of it. So we're going to have another one of these podcasts again down the track, don't worry. And um, <laughs> I think it's going to help a lot of people out there uh, in general. And uh, uh, I'm so grateful for your time. And, and geez, we've got 51 years of uh, unbelievable um, you know, uh, wisdom and, and knowing and understanding and, and what you've been able to learn over the last 25 or 30 years. It's just complimented what you um what you're always going to be as an individual, and that's you know reaching your human potential, and that's that's only uh, you're only not even halfway through the journey. I don't think you've got a lot of uh, years to come ahead of you, which is going to um you know help help the rest of your life um to become more fulfilled and sustainable. And I guess that's that's within all of us if we make the right choices, which can keep us healthful, uh, body, body, mind, and spirit. Then uh, we can have such beautiful lives and, and be so connected. So so really grateful for your time, Mark, and, um, yeah, I really appreciate you sharing uh, all that you have with us over the last hour or so. Oh, my pleasure, Aaron. Yep. I'm happy to help out any time you need. And um, just, you know, a word of encouragement to anyone out there who's interested in any of this stuff because it's so helpful. You know, you can read one great Dharma teaching or read one great book and it can change your life. 
Mm. You know, do one meditation retreat or one yoga class. And, you know, yeah, it, it's endless, endless possibilities. That's all it takes just to be open and uh, and inquisitive and uh, be able to to, to uh, yeah, just be curious enough to, to, to look at things which can, can make those changes. So really appreciate yeah. it, mate. Guys, such uh, beautiful words there from Mark and, yeah, certainly a lot more um, to, to explore there with regards to what Mark can, can teach us and, and we're going to definitely be having more conversations like this again in the future. But I really encourage you to, to Google Mark Togni, T-O-G-N-I. Uh, also connect with the Gold Coast Yoga Centre to, uh, to to maybe explore some opportunities and, and, and you know, uh, look at pathways for your own self-growth. So, um, yeah, hope you uh, enjoyed our conversation. Really appreciate it. Uh, uh, if you could provide some feedback to support at outbackmind.com.au. Share the podcast with others. Share the website, outbackmind.com.au. Episode 100 coming up next. Please tune in if you can. Really grateful for you being here. Cheers.